Good day, everyone. Welcome to the CSU Relentless Gardener podcast. I am Colorado State University horticulture agent Linda Langelo, and joining me today is Darren Davidson, CSU Extension Sustainable Landscape State Specialist. Now let's get to the heart of it where we explore the horticulture topic of sustainable landscaping and the Landscape for Life program. Hello, Darren. Hi, Linda. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm I'm happy to talk to you about this topic, and I'm so glad you could join us today. So please explain what this program is all about and what it's going to do for our Colorado residents. Okay, yeah, I'm happy to. So the Landscape for Life program, I'll give you a little bit of history. Um, it was started in um, around 2010. Uh, by the U.S. Botanic Gardens and the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center, which is a botanic garden in Austin, Texas. Um, so they created this program that is really um, geared towards homeowners and teaching them sustainable landscape practices. Um, and what I mean by sustainable landscape practices is really looking at how you manage your landscape um, whether you're a homeowner or you're in the industry and doing commercial landscapes um, in just a way that really focuses on water conservation, um, you know, xeriscaping, creating or increasing biodiversity, and just generally having um, kind of like less impact on um, on on resource use. And, you know, it's a lot of things that people are thinking about anyway, like xeriscaping is really popular, water conservation, all of that. But it's it's really doing kind of a deeper dive into those things. Um, and so uh, the the U.S. Botanic Gardens and the Wildflower Center created this program um, and they ran it out of the Wildflower Center for since it started. So for the last 10 or 12 years. Um, and they decided that, you know, they had some shifts in their priorities and, and the, the activities they were doing. And so the U.S. Botanic Garden decided to kind of um, put a call out to see if any other institutions would be interested. And um, a team of folks at CSU Extension put together a proposal and it was accepted. And so the program, which comes with lots of curriculum and history and backstory all came to extension. Um, and now we get to kind of put our, our mark on it. And, um, we are going to shift things around a little bit with it. I think it's wonderful. I didn't, I don't know if you, you knew that I'm a member of the American Botanic Garden Association and, uh, or Public Garden Association. And, uh, I get emails that come into my email and I'm on like, I won't call them teams or like communities within the association. And that went out to every single community because I'm on small gardens and greenhouses and I read it and I'm so glad to this day that I send it to Katie. I, I, I think that's just like, I was, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, Katie has a lot on her plate, but I, I'm, I'm thrilled. And, and I'm, yeah, super thrilled that you're the one heading it. That just perfect. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and you know, 
it, it was really fun because Katie, you know, got that email from you. She emailed it to me and a couple other people and said, what do you guys think? You know, and, um, and I used to work at the wildflower center. And so I was really familiar with the program and I thought, oh my gosh, what an opportunity, you know? And so we, we talked through it and we thought, yeah, let's go for it. So how funny, you know, and I had no idea that you, that was in your background, that you worked at the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center. That's so funny. Oh, well, that's great. So taking that deeper dive, tell us about maybe a couple of the best practices that might come out of this program for homeowners. Sure. So, you know, the thing with the landscape for life program, um, as it stands right now, it's, it looks at, um, the curriculum sort of looks at conventional landscapes and landscape practices versus sustainable. And so, you know, it's going to be things like right plant, right place. And, you know, again, using things that use, uh, or planting things that use less water, um, planting things that need fewer pesticides. Um, so it's, it's really just sort of shifting practices, um, choosing, being a little more thoughtful about plant choices, perhaps, um, you know, we have a lot of people, especially in Colorado and the West, I think that are, that are getting more savvy to the fact that we need to really pay attention to those things. Um, but there are still also a lot of people that are learning about that, um, and so it's just, it's kind of just being more aware and paying a little more attention. So not just walking into a garden center and saying, oh, that's pretty. I'm going to plant this, you know, and it's like, well, is that really the best choice for, for your location and um, for your garden? Um, it's really focusing on, I mentioned biodiversity earlier. So how can we support, um, you know, pollinators, of course, and songbirds and other wildlife. And there are things like, um, shifting timing of certain practices, like, um, you know, don't cut down all of your ornamental grasses and perennials in the fall, leave those up for, you know, critters, uh, can eat the seeds. There are certain native bee species that nest over winter in the hollow, um, stalks of some plants. And so it's not like, that's not a huge difference. It's just a shift in the timing of what you're doing. And so it's, it's just kind of a, I, I think a lot of it are, are pretty subtle adjustments, but they can have big impacts. Exactly. I was going to say timing is everything, you know, I mean, you put your peas out in the middle of July, what are you going to get? Right, right. And, and really you're right. Those subtle differences make a huge impact. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, I hope that that really shifts people's paradigms when they look at a garden. Yep. I know, I know for myself, uh, I moved into this house about five years ago and I had medians in front and I had grass in it, Kentucky blue. Mm -hmm. And I thought there's no way I'm doing this. And so I started tearing it out. And as I begun to replace things, you could see different species of birds and wildlife and insects move in. And it got the interest of my neighbors. And they were like, what is that bird? And what is that? And what, what is that plant? And so, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. That's, and that's exactly it. And I think that's where um, so much impact can come 
in residential settings in neighborhoods you have one person that gives it a try and it might be kind of out of the norm of what everybody else in that neighborhood is doing but you know people i think are inherently curious and they see something and they they get curious and so they ask that person what did you do and why and was it hard and you know how much did it cost like we have to take all of those things into consideration but i think that individuals making these changes it can have a ripple effect, you know, and then you have a whole neighborhood that's doing this and and you're supporting, you know, all kinds of pollinators and wildlife. And um, that's kind of an interesting concept, actually, that uh, when I um, worked at the Wildflower Center, we talked a lot about, and that was sort of, can the cities, can, can cities and towns act as um, preserves, basically, like an urban preserve? And, you know, the thinking is, yes, it can. Like, yes, we can create these, um, you know, sort of unique ecosystems, but that they don't have to just be barren and concrete and not supporting life, but they can, in fact, um, support a lot of life. And I think that's, you know, that's good for us, too. Oh, yeah. To for have sure. that around. So for sure. At the way that ecosystems are collapsing and mm -hmm. insects are going becoming extinct and you know i heard a little snippet on a radio station coming home the other day and the gentleman was saying that yeah we've lost about 70 percent of the world's animals and he said it's not from climate change it's from development it's all that interrupted space and that was really an eye-opener that mm -hmm. wow you know we we keep building but what are we taking away yeah and that's right yeah and you know so if we look at pollinators like they're they're a hot topic right now and for good reason um and there are a lot of issues that they face uh, but habitat loss is um arguably the biggest um a lot of people point to pesticides and yes of course there are pesticides that are are harmful to um, certain pollinators and different populations, but um, lots of researchers and um, scientists are saying it's, it's really habitat loss. That is the biggest issue. They don't, they don't have a home. <laughs> like you said, you know, we're yeah. tearing it up and not replacing it. So um, I think that anywhere we can um, sort of put that back and increase that habitat is, is really key. Yeah. I just think if, if we came home and our home was gone. Right. You know, flip, flip that script. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. What would we do? Yeah. Well, I think we'd be pretty mad first of all, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so tell, tell me a little bit about this new turf bill. I've heard a tremendous amount, but what's the, what's the bottom line? What are people going to have to do? Yeah, so it's this turf replacement program. Um, it's it's actually it's House Bill twenty two eleven fifty one, um, and it passed earlier this year, and essentially, um, the the Colorado Water Conservation Board, um, has been tasked with developing a statewide turf replacement program. Um, so I believe it's about it's two million dollars is being allocated to this program. And the CWCB, that's the Colorado Water Conservation Board, um, is 
like I said, kind of in charge of figuring out what this program is going to look like. And right now, um, it's a one-time um, sort of distribution of funds. They're, they're like I said, they're in the process of figuring out what it's going to look like, um, but it's going to be launched in 2023. I think funds will be available in July of 2023. Um, and it's not the kind of thing where an individual homeowner can go and apply um, and get some funding. It'll be through third parties like water providers, um, and that sort of thing will receive the money and then they can pass that um, cost savings or those incentives onto their customers. Um, and again, it's a voluntary program. If people want to take out turf, then this is going to support that. And it can be for commercial properties, residential um, kind of, I don't know if I want to say anywhere because I, you know, I'm sure there are nuances, but um you know, it's, it's just that it's to support, um, taking out turf and, and replacing it with, with water wise, you know, more low water use plants. Um, and one thing that is really coming up that has some people concerned, and we just need to really pay attention to is people get excited to rip out turf, but then they don't have a plan for afterwards. And they're literally just left with a dirt lot, you know, and they think, oh, I took all the turf out. Now I'm not using water. Yeah. But what do you have in place of that? You know, um, so part of it is to really, I think part of what the CWCB perhaps is looking at is, you know, some sort of guidelines or recommendations for what you do after the turf is removed. Um, and, you know, even for people that don't actually take part or benefit from this um, program. If you are wanting to take out turf, which is becoming more and more um, commonplace, people are more and more interested in, in that. You've got to have a plan. I think that's really important. You need to have a plan for what you're going to do afterwards. Otherwise, you're just going to have, you know, it's going to be a muddy mess. It's going to be a great place for weeds to just, you know, wreak havoc. Um, so thinking through the whole process, like you said, you started ripping it out in your medians, um, but you have to get something else in place pretty quickly. Um, so I think taking that time to kind of think through that is a really important piece of that process. It's not just removing the turf. So in the, the Landscape for Life program, are you going to give folks uh, suggestions or design plans or... Other yeah, pieces that they can use. <laughs> That's a great question. So, um, so what we're doing right now, um, so I just started a, a new position as the sustainable landscape state specialist. And so I will be running that program. And so what we're doing right now is going through all of the curriculum and we're going to, um, you know, update it, make sure that everything is still relevant. You know, it's been 10, 12 years, so we've got to kind of check all of that. We'll certainly be um, adding to it. And it's going to be the kind of program where, you know, kind of run like a master gardener training program. You go through these different modules, you know, you, you learn the information and then homeowners can certainly apply that. Um, we're also going to have an industry track. So we'll kind of have two tracks um, and th this is the plan anyway, <laughs> you know, we've really just started, but so there'll be a track for industry folks. So whether that's um, people that are going to be doing the work for customers 
and clients, or if it's municipalities that are wanting to manage, you know, city properties and open space properties differently, they'll be able to to gain some knowledge um, through the program. So your question about will we provide design options and ideas, um, I would say perhaps, you know, that certainly could be a part of the kind of overall package. There's going to be sort of like a package of programming and you can choose different things, but yeah, we can definitely talk about, um, you know, how the turf replacement program, you know, the one that just went through the state legislature, but also if people are just taking out turf anyway, what, what you do next, um, because that's definitely a part of sustainable landscaping, thinking right. through all that. Right. And, and making sure they have the right plants in mm -hmm. the, plains versus the western slope and exactly yeah and so and that is another um part of the um what we're going to be creating is that it, it's a statewide program and um so we need to really be able to get into all those different communities and kind of tailor things to what they need so you know it's not going to be like town by town specific but certainly region by region um and what's exciting is that we'll be able, or I'll be able to work with all of the different extension offices around the state, you know, because they know best what their community needs. And so I can say, here's this sort of package of programming, you know, how does this need to be modified to fit your community? Uh, yeah, so that's that's a pretty cool, pretty cool feature. And then, um, you know, this is, this is longer term, but eventually we're hoping to, um, take it on to a national level, which it already is um, in its original form. It's like a train the trainer program. Um, and anybody can do that across the country. Um, and so what we're hoping to do is kind of a similar thing, but we'll be able to utilize the cooperative extension network that is across the country. And again, have these modules and this sort of package and say, okay, all these different states here's what you can do and let's modify it for your region or your state. So um, that's an exciting piece too. Yeah. That's a big job, but think it of, is. just, just think of the impact, you know, I know I get so excited when I think of the impact. <laughs> it's so important. It really mm -hmm. is. Right. Yeah. And I think another piece that's exciting is that it's going to need to be a really collaborative process. Um, and I love that piece. So you know, I might be kind of at the helm of this, but it's not my program. I'm going to be working with, like I said, extension agents across the state, you know, people in industry, nursery owners, you know, greenhouse growers, all of that. Um, and then once, you know, hopefully it does go to that, that um, higher level and, and have that broader reach. It's again, it's still going to be relying on so many partnerships and collaborations and, um, cause there are a ton of organizations that are already supporting and doing this kind of work. Um, and so getting their voices in the mix, I think is going to be really great. That's wonderful. So as a homeowner, I'm guessing that we, we would have to wait until the curriculum is redone. How did one get to participate actively in the program? That is a great question, um, and I cannot answer it um, like perfectly right now because we're still figuring all that out. But 
it will be, like I said, kind of like how CSU Extension's Green School and Master Gardener training is run. So there's going to be these online modules um, that people can sign up for, you know, through our website. Um, and they'll be able to take the classes online. Um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to incorporate some hands-on kind of in-person pieces to it. Um, but that all of that is what's going to be figured out over the next, you know, six months or so. Um, but it'll be, um, you know, accessible, hopefully accessible to anyone who's interested via um, online. We also have um, money earmarked to uh, do a, a bilingual training. So we'll have a Spanish version too, um, which I think is really exciting. And so, yeah, lots, lots to figure out still, but lots to come. So 2023 will be a big year. You have a lot of legwork to do. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. So so back to the turf bill, when that third party gets the money, how will the homeowner know? Will they be apprised through their utility bill or how will that work? Yeah, I believe that's that's what it'll be like. Um so again, they're still figuring out the details, but like for instance, um I was talking to somebody with the with Colorado Springs Utilities um and she was explaining that you know they hopefully they'll have to um put out a you know proposal or or bid for it somehow and but hopefully they'll get a chunk of that money and they'll be able to then offer up these incentives and you know I suppose different places will do it differently I don't know if it'll be an application process or how the different um parties will want to distribute those funds but yeah it'll be it'll be advertised it'll be made known that this is an opportunity for people um to take advantage of and i have to say um like 12 million dollars is awesome but if we're looking at the whole state it'll it'll also go pretty quickly i think you know so um yeah and you know you can um if you go to the colorado um, water conservation board's website they have a whole page with more information um they have like a frequently asked questions page and you can you can learn more of the nitty-gritty about why they're doing it why it's important where the money came from all that stuff well maybe as things progress you'll do a cohort blog on the sustainable landscape you know, for life program and mm -hmm. also update us on, on the turf bill. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it, it all really ties together. So um, yeah, more coming soon okay. on both of those. <laughs> I, I was thinking, you know, about some of the, the not so best practices of using gravel or mm -hmm. artificial turf that I seen actually in a lot of areas and uh, maybe this will help people find something better to to use than what what they're doing I hope so yeah um you know there's that common misconception that zero escape means zero scaping um you know and we all get the image of like a Las Vegas or a Phoenix with you know a cactus and the rest gravel um but I just think it's so key that people can understand that you can do xeriscaping, you can do these sustainable landscape practices 
and have great curb appeal. You know, it can be beautiful. It can be enjoyable to be out in these spaces and very functional. It's like, I always think about it as like, you know, beautification, but also increasing the function of what your landscape and your space is doing. Well, that's what happened when I took the grass out of my medians. Mm -hmm. And then another member of the family said, do you know how many people come by and say how wonderful this looks? And, you know, my focus isn't necessarily there. It's, it's more about okay, I'm not going to water, I'm not going to fertilize, and I am not going to mow. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And, you know, actually, I think that's another important piece of this is like, people also think like, oh, if it's a, like, for instance, if it's a Colorado native plant, um, which a lot of xeric plants are, I'm not, there's going to be no maintenance. That's not true. You're working with living systems, things grow, things die, you have to do, th you know, there's always going to be some maintenance, um, but it's different maintenance and it's not like a weekly thing. And um, yeah, it's, you know, you said that thing about it, there's got to be a paradigm shift. Oh, that's yes. what it is. Yes. It's just, it's sort of the shift in aesthetic shift in how you manage it and shift in um, just just sort of your overall approach to landscaping. And I think once the curriculum's out there and people join on, they're going to start seeing that. Mm -hmm. Whereas you and I already know that. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, yeah. And I think the more, yeah, the more people see it, it's catching on. I mean, there really is kind of a groundswell. Um, there's the landscaping with Colorado native plants conference um, that happens every February. Um, and I know you know about it, um, but it's, you know, the our first year, let's see, in next year, in 2023, February 25th, I believe is the date. Um, that will be our eighth conference. Um, and the first one, you know, we had like close to 200 people, maybe 150, 200 people. Um, with COVID, it, you know, it, it had been an in-person conference with COVID. We moved it online, like so many things did. Um, and because we didn't have space restrictions, we could just open it up to as many people. Um, and last year or this year, 2022, we had almost a thousand people. Um, you know, it was like 886 or something like that. Um, but it just seems like over the last 10 years or so, there's this groundswell. People are becoming more curious and interested and informed and making these um, shifts and changes. And, um, you know, but it can so often start like with you, with one person changing their yard and their neighbors get curious and they start doing it and it just kind of grows and um, expands. Well, when you drive around and you see all the different rivers and mm -hmm. tributaries and they're going dry. It's, it's a scary situation because all of life depends on water. There's no magic formula that's going to create that and give it back to us unless we start actually becoming more and more responsible. And mm -hmm. I, I just want to say, uh, waking up to what things need to, to look like and be down the road. Yep. Agreed. And I think, um, 
you know, I think it's really easy to say that we humans and our impact um, have been the problem or part of the problem. Um, but I think that we can also be part of the solution in what you're saying, waking up and becoming more aware and, and just really trying to understand what's going on. Um, we, we can start to make some of those um, shifts that can be part of the solution and, you know, it's exciting to be a part of CSU Extension. Like we all get to, you know, teach this and help people understand, yeah. um, which is, I don't know. I think it's fun to be a part of the solution. <laughs> so I, and, I do too. I do too. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Yeah. And, and thinking back of the day, you know, when my parents and grandparents, you did foundation plantings, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a far cry. I mean, we've got fire, fire wise and, and now we have this and then, <laughs> Yeah, it's really made a lot of shifts as we, you know, evolve, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So evolving together is fun and all all doing our small part is what's going to make the big difference. Yep, yeah. exactly. I agree. And, I, you know, in in getting ready to take on this position, I spoke to um, a couple of different um, folks in extension offices in different parts of the state. Um, very like people in the um, mountain, small mountain communities, people out like Northeast, you know, pretty rural and out in the plains um, and then Southwest too. And everybody kind of, I thought, you know, these people, A, you have different demographics, different people with different interests. Um, also you have very different ecosystems and landscapes, but everybody was like, you know, we all, everybody's kind of moving in the same direction. They might have different um, reasons for it. You know, some people might be like, oh, I just want to save the bees and the pollinators. And somebody else is like, I just want my water bill to be fine. But it's all, you know, it's all kind of pointing in the same direction. So like you said, kind of evolving together in that way. It really doesn't matter what the reason is. It's the result and the outcome that we all see happening. Mm -hmm. yeah, yep. It's exciting. It really is. I And I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be able to be a, be a part of the process. So let's see. Are there any opportunities for people to learn about the sustainable landscaping program? Any Anything else you need to add to what we've already discussed? Well, so there is a website um, and I can pull that up and give that to you. Okay. It's just, it's just .edu. Um, And if people want to go there and check it out, you can see, you can get a sort of a taste for the curriculum and see what, what it has been. Um, it'll give you a really good um understanding sort of the the different categories and the different information. Um, and this is what we now have, and we're going to be kind of working through and updating <clears throat> and all of that. So yeah, go to landscapeforlife.colostate.edu and take a peek at what it is. Um, and just know that uh, it's going to be updated and, um, you know, more, more accessible to everybody next year. Well, I, for one, can't wait to help you out in, Great. in my little area. And yeah. actually, 
actually this uh, late summer, I had a sewage pipe that had to be replaced. And, you know, they, they took all the good soil and put it down below. And I have all oh. the crappy clay on top, which is yeah. concrete. <clears throat> so uh <-huh. laughs> I'm, I'm treating that with a finished compost. And uh, I said, you know, I'm going to take back third of this yard because I have a lot and a half. And just make mm -hmm. another garden. Awesome. <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm not gonna put grass in. I've I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was all ripped up anyway. Yeah. Because the pipe. Yeah. That's yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, have fun with that. That sounds that sounds like a great project. I, I will, but do I need to wait for the uh, turf bill? <laughs> Yeah. Well, right. You might. <laughs> yeah. I would think that, um, well, I was going to say like, oh, you could get in touch with your water provider and see what they know. But I do think that it's a little bit early still, you know, like they're still getting those details kind of figured out. But, um, if, you know, letting your, your water, your utility know that you're interested, you know, might be a good conversation to have. Well, really it's, uh, it's November and we're going into the dead of winter. So I think I have some time. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. I think so. Well, thank you, Darren, for joining me. A thank you to the audience for listening. Tune in next time when we get to the heart of the matter on another horticultural topic. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. <laughs>